As we come together to the day before Thanksgiving, I thought it very appropriate to focus on a passage written for the very purpose of giving thanks. Psalm 100 is such a passage. You notice the inscription in your Bible. It begins with simply a psalm for giving thanks. A psalm for giving thanks. And so the psalmist has written these, this short psalm, these five verses, for the very purpose of facilitating the giving of thanks by God's people to God. How appropriate for us on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And so let's read together the first, all five verses of Psalm 100. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Now, again, notice the inscription there. A psalm for giving thanks. A psalm for giving thanks written for the very purpose of helping God's people to uh, really use this as a vehicle to convey their thankfulness to God. And so we're going to consider how the psalmist leads God's people to give thanks, and then consider how we also can use the framework of Psalm 100 also to offer thanksgiving to God. And so notice, first of all, kind of the structure of this psalm is very simple. It's only five verses. But it's five verses divided into two sections. Uh, Look at verse 1 through 3. Understand that this is an invitation. Serve the Lord with gladness. Make a joyful noise, all the earth. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. And so there's the invitation to worship. And then the psalmist gives the reason for that worship. And he focuses on, in verse 3, what God has done. It is he who made us, and we are his, we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. And so, come and worship because of what God has done. And then look in verse 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Another invitation to worship. And then in verse 5, he gives the reason. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. And so, come and worship. Because of who God is. So the first section, come and worship because of what God has done. And the next section, come and worship because of who God is. Very simple structure. But as we're going to see, it has some depth to it. Come and praise the Lord. Serve him with gladness, he says. Sing in his presence. Why? Again, because of who he is and what he's done. Now, look in verse 2. Come into his presence with singing. And then look in verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. This psalm was written to facilitate the offering of praise and thanksgiving by God's people, it appears, as they are approaching the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate a festival. This psalm was written for the throngs of Jews who might make a pilgrimage into Jerusalem for them to sing and to begin to praise the Lord and give thanks to Him as they approach and come into the city gates and then the courtyard of the temple. And so the psalmist here is envisioning these worshipers coming together again, multitudes, thousands upon thousands coming into the city and then into the outer courts of the temple singing and praising God. 
There it says that they were to do what? It says they are to serve the Lord, verse 2. That is, they were to come and worship. They were to come and worship, and they were to worship God alone as the only creator God. Serve the Lord, he says. That is, perform all your religious obligations as prescribed by the Lord. And do so with gladness of heart, sincere Genuine worship. So the psalmist envisions thousands of Jews pilgrimage into Jerusalem, into the temple courtyard, serving the Lord with gladness and joy-filled hearts. These times of pilgrimage, you think about it, and I wish we had more things like this in, in our Christian culture. These times of pilgrimage and praise would have been an incredible, incredibly precious time for the people of God. Entire families singing and giving thanks as they journey. I mean, can you picture it? Throngs, multitudes together, singing and praising and dancing, uh, glorifying the Lord together as families as they all move together into the holy city. And and you picture Jerusalem with its elevated location and just people streaming from all different uh, directions coming into the city, worshiping and praising God. This is precious. These are precious times for the Jewish people. So precious would such a pilgrimage be, this, this multitude giving thanks and joy-filled praise to God, that in Psalm 42, we actually read from a psalmist who's experiencing some spiritual depression. And part of his depression is that in some way he's separated from Jerusalem and he's far off, far away from the holy city, and he's longing to come back and he's longing to be part of just this kind of religious Service. And so Psalm 42 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Now listen to what he says How I would go with the throng. And lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And then he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again appraise him. I shall again praise him, my salvation. So here is a worship leader remembering the procession, remembering the pilgrimage into Jerusalem. And he's saying, uh, how I long to be there again, not just to be part of it, but apparently he was a leader. I I want to be back there. I want to hear the shouts of praise. I want to hear the joy-filled thanksgiving. I want to hear the songs. I want to see the dance. I want to be part of that again. That's how precious this was to the Jewish people. Not only this, but he encourages encourages himself and shakes himself out of his spiritual depression by saying, uh, I have hope, hope in God that one day again I will join in such praise. Another helpful psalm which helps us to capture the scene here in Psalm 100 is Psalm 96. Psalm 96, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. For the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. 
And so Psalm 96 helps us to maybe see some of the content of what would have been uh, said in those songs of worship as they were approaching Jerusalem. And so that's the picture here. That's what the psalmist is envisioning here in Psalm 100. God's people moving in throngs into the holy city. As they approach, they sing songs of joy, loud songs of joy. The content of the songs, praising God, uh, the only true God. Glory to God for his holiness and for the salvation which he has provided for his people. And so they enter the gates of the city, their thanksgiving continues, and then they come into the outer courts of the temple, and there in the outer courts of the temple, they continue to praise and give thanks to him. Once inside, according to Psalm 100, they serve the Lord with gladness. They make offering and sacrifice, serving the Lord with all their heart and with all their soul. Deuteronomy chapter 10 helps us to understand that idea of serving the Lord. Verse 12, Moses prepares the people to inherit the promised land, and he reminds them, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. And so Moses reminds the people, serve the Lord. Why? Because he's the only true God. He's the creator God. Not only that, but as the creator God, he's chosen you to be his people. And so serve him. Keep his commandments. Do all that he has commanded. That's the idea. And so here you have thousands of Jews streaming into the temple, praising God with joyous song, glad heart, and uh, performing all religious duties as commanded by God and doing so with sincerity. So what exactly would have been, according to Psalm 100, some of the content of that praise that would have been offered to God as they were uh, approaching Jerusalem and entering the courts? Well, as mentioned earlier, the main focus here is going to be what God has done and who God is. And so we see this beginning in Psalm 100, verse 3. Notice what the psalmist says. First, he says, know that the Lord, he is God. That's a focus on the exclusivity of God as the only God. He's the creator God. Uh, He is exclusive, just as Moses said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 10, that he is the creator. So worship him and him alone. But then he says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. And now Psalm 100 begins to, there's a theme that begins to come to the surface here in Psalm 100. Something very interesting in this psalm. Again, you picture for a moment the scene envisioned by the psalmist. Thousands upon thousands of Jews together in massive crowds, streaming into the city together with joy and gladness, worshiping the only true God. Festal shouts. You can picture instruments playing. You can picture dancing. Does that put you in mind of anything else that you've seen in Scripture, maybe in an earlier book? Some picture where you see thousands upon thousands of Jewish people together, streaming together on a sort of pilgrimage with joy and gladness and singing. The psalmist is alluding to the Exodus, to the Exodus. Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. 
It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. They continue in verse 11 of Exodus 15. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? There's the exclusivity of God as the only creator God. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. That's the destruction of the Egyptian army. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They trembled. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Continues in verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after with tambourine and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. You picture it? Thousands upon thousands of Jews celebrating God as the only creator God, celebrating God for the one who has chosen them out from among all the people, making them his people with singing and dance and praise and instruments. The psalmist in Psalm 100 is making a clear allusion to the Exodus. The parallels are intended. That is, God's deliverance of the people of Israel from Egyptian captivity is the formative event which introduced Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, to his people. It's the Exodus which forged the identity of Israel as God's people and he as their God. It's the Exodus which brought the people to Sinai where they received the law and became a nation. The psalmist is making this purposeful connection. Look in Psalm 100 verse 3 again. It says, it is he who made us and we are his. That is, through the Exodus, God forged his people. Not just the creator God making a people via creation like, every, like he's made everybody else, but he has also forged his chosen people via redemption by delivering them from the captivity in Egypt. Psalm 105 makes this connection very explicit. Psalm 105, verse 43, it says, So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. And he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. And you see the, the, the overlap there between Psalm 100 and Psalm 105. Psalm 105 explicitly connecting uh, God's people to the Exodus. He brought out his people. Well, you see the reference to his people in Psalm 100 verse 3. With joy. You see the reference to joy in Psalm 100, verse 1. With joy in singing. And you see the reference to the singing in Psalm 100, verse 2. That they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Well, that sounds a lot like serving the Lord. Like it says in Psalm 100, verse 2. Praise the Lord, Yahweh, just like we see in Psalm 100. The point is this. The psalmist in Psalm 100, though it may not be immediately clear on the surface, is alluding to the Exodus. That God is the creator God and the redeeming God who forges his people. So, alluding to the Exodus, the psalmist says, Know that the Lord, he is God. He's the only God. Again, a reference to the Exodus in that as God delivered his people from Egypt, he didn't only pour out judgment upon Pharaoh. But God poured out judgment in such a way in the form of ten plagues 
in such a way that each was designed to display that he and he alone had the power over the elements which the Egyptians had attributed to their gods. So that when Israel came to Mount Sinai and came to receive the law of God, God could say to them in Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And so the praise of Israel to their God uh, repeatedly brought forth this theme of the exclusivity of God as the only God above all idols. Through the Exodus, God displayed that He... The Lord, He is God, as the psalmist says. Know that the Lord, He is God. And so Psalm 100, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, the only Creator God. And we are His, we are His people. And so not only has He made us by virtue of creation, but He's made us by virtue of redemption, so we are His special people. This is... Reason to praise, according to the psalmist. This is reason to thank the Lord. This is reason to serve the Lord. He's the creator of all, and he's chosen a special people to be his own in covenant relationship with himself. The Lord says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 54, For your maker, as creator, exclusive creator, for your maker is what? Is your husband. Is your husband. And so you have relationship via creation, and then you have relationship via redemption, because the Lord has redeemed them and brought them to himself as if to be united in the covenant of marriage. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. So this is a wonderful, special relationship and a reason to give thanks that the creator of all, the only God, has now made a people for himself whom he has redeemed for the purpose of ushering them into covenant relationship with himself, just as like a husband and a bride. So the throng here, according to the psalmist, shouts and sings, We are his. We are his people. Thanks be to God, to the only God. Praise his name. Bless him because we are his. And then he continues, the psalmist in Psalm 100. He gives another reason to thank and serve and praise the Lord. He says, we are his people, verse 3, and the sheep of his pasture. The sheep of his pasture. God is shepherd. God as shepherd does what? He leads and guides his people. God as shepherd provides for his people. God as shepherd protects his people. God as shepherd saves those of his people who are lost. God as shepherd gathers those who are scattered. God as shepherd corrects those who go astray. God is shepherd and we are the sheep of his pasture, the psalmist says. It's not going to surprise you at this point to learn that this also is a reference. Guess where? To the Exodus. Psalm 78 verse 51 says, He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstfruits of their strength in the tents of Ham, Listen, then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid. It goes on to talk about how he gives them the land, the promised land, as their possession. A reference again to the Exodus that God, like a shepherd, goes into Egypt and, and calls out his people and they follow him out as if he's a shepherd leading them to safety. 
And so the praise is to say, thank God that he guides us. Thank God that he provides for us. Thank God that he protects us. Thank God that he saves us. Thanks God that he's gathered us. Thank God that he corrects us. Thank God that he keeps us in his pasture. Thank God that he gives us rest. Psalm 79, 13 says, but we, your people, the sheep of your pasture will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. So what a Awesome reasons to give thanks. He's the only true God. He is creator. He is redeemer. He has chosen a people to be his own. He loves and cares for and guides and protects and gives rest to his people. Look again at Psalm 100. Look in verse 4. Verse 4 begins the second section of the psalm and issues another invitation to enter the holy city and the temple courts with thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Bless his name. When you see that word name in scripture, especially in reference to God, that's a reference to God and not just his proper name, but that's a reference to God in all of his nature and his character. That's what the idea of his name entails. Bless God for all that he is. The psalmist then goes on to offer a few specifics regarding what it is about God's character and nature that should lead us to thankfulness and praise. Look in verse 5. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Now, if I were to tell you this morning that verse 5, in verse 5, the psalmist is alluding to another portion of Scripture. Where do you think that portion of Scripture would be found? Exodus chapter 34. As Moses is on the mountain, he's being delivered the law to give to the people of Israel. Just prior to his descending the mount, the Lord does something wonderful for Moses. Moses says, I want to see your glory. Well, Moses can't see the glory of God, uh, the unveiled glory of God, because it would kill him. But the Lord does him a service, and the Lord does give him a sense of the presence of the Lord. And at that time, the Lord declares to Moses a revelation regarding his own name. He says to Moses, I will declare to you who I am. I will declare to you a revelation regarding my my character and my nature. And so in Psalm 34, verse 5, I'm sorry, in Exodus 34, verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Exactly what the psalmist in Psalm 100 highlights regarding the nature of God. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will who by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And look at Moses' response after this revelation of the nature of God's name. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. The psalmist is evoking this, invoking this imagery in order to evoke that response. Bless the name of the Lord. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. That same revelation that led Moses to bow his head in worship was meant to uh, cause the people of Israel as they're gathered together in throngs, moving into Jerusalem, the holy city, to be put in remembrance of that revelation. He's steadfast in his love and he's, his faithfulness spreads to all generations. So worship him. The steadfast love of the Lord here speaks of his loyal covenant love. 
That is, God is absolutely dependable to fulfill His promise, promises. When He makes covenant, He does not break covenant. Those who are His people on the receiving end are on the receiving end of His undeserved faithfulness. That should lead to thanksgiving and praise. And so, give thanks. Give praise. Bless His name. Make a joyful noise. Come into His presence with singing. Serve the Lord with gladness because of who He is and what He has done. What an awesome psalm. A psalm, again, explicitly written to facilitate the giving of thanks to God by a thankful people. But I have a question this morning. Psalm 100 is clearly written to Jews. Jews on a pilgrimage. Jews on a pilgrimage headed to the holy city. Jews on a pilgrimage headed to the holy city and into the courtyard of the temple. Where they're going to serve and they're going to serve according to the law. And so although we can look at Psalm 100 and we can see the same God. This is our God. His character remains the same. There are some disconnects, aren't there, between the Jew and the Christian? Hmm. Do we have reason also to make a joyful noise to the Lord? Should we also feel compelled to serve the Lord with gladness? Should we also overflow with singing and thanksgiving and praise? Does Psalm 100 have some relevance to us, too, as those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. Because we are Christians, and everything in this psalm actually points to Jesus Christ and to who He is and to what He has done for us. Consider these things. The psalmist rooted his entire psalm in God's work in Exodus, in the Exodus. God redeemed His people from the captivity of Egypt via His servant Moses. The New Testament tells us that Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. The greater Moses has come. He has led his people to freedom, not from the captivity of Egypt, but out from the captivity of sin and death and Satan. The greater Moses and the greater Exodus has come, and we together have been forged as God's new people through a redemption from sin. By freeing his people from slavery in Egypt... The Lord again forged a kingdom of people for himself out from among all the peoples of the earth. But the Bible says this of Christ in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, that he loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us not from captivity in Egypt, but from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Whereas God the Father in the Old Testament may have redeemed his people from captivity in Egypt, forging a nation of people set apart, his chosen people, entering covenant relationship with himself, Jesus Christ has come and brought forth the greater exodus. He's brought forth a greater salvation, and he has made even a greater people are benefiting from an even greater covenant. Through the Exodus, the Lord became the shepherd of Israel, leading them and providing for them and protecting them and giving them rest. Well, in John 10, Jesus says explicitly that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He gives everything for his sheep so that his sheep can come to him and find rest. 
Because the Lord is good and because His steadfast love endures forever, He has given us the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus leads us even in greater procession. Remember, we said the language here in Psalm 100, that these Jews are going into Jerusalem, the gates of the city, and then into the courtyard of the temple. And it says there in verse 2 of Psalm 100, it says, Come into His presence. They did wonderful. They're coming into the presence of God. But in actuality, they're not actually in the presence of God, are they? In the temple courtyard. They're near the presence of God in the temple courtyard. Because you understand the temple, you have your outer court, and then you have your inner court, and then you have the holy, uh, the holy place, and within the holy place, you have that small uh, room that is the holy of holies, and there in the holy of holies, you have the Ark of the Covenant, and there you have the two cherubim, there that are carved on the lid to the Ark of the Covenant, and there the presence of God would come, but only the high priest was permitted in there, and only once a year. And so those in the courtyard weren't really in the presence of God, they were simply near the presence of God, but they were as close as any Jew could come, who is not the high priest once a year. So all of this procession of praise and thanksgiving leads up to that climax of being near the presence of God. Jesus, however, leads us in an even greater procession, not simply into the gates of the city and not simply into the outer courts, but he takes us right into the uh, holy place and right into the holy of holies and through the curtain and immediately into the presence of God. He enters in, according to the writer of Hebrews, right into the heart of the holy of holies and there in the presence of God, he offered his own blood and he makes the way possible for all of us. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." Jesus Christ has entered immediately in the Holy of Holies. And not only that, but he, like an anchor, now brings all of us in. And the writer of Hebrews says that he's torn the curtain, and uh, he likens that to the curtain of his flesh. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, and he says, it is finished, and the Bible says the curtain in the temple was divided into two. That is, the way was made. Jesus, Jesus leads us in procession through the gates of the city, through the outer courts, into the inner courts, right into the holy place, directly into the Holy of Holies. But it gets even better because through Jesus Christ now we have his Holy Spirit so that we then become the temple of the Spirit and God's presence is with us eternally. While the Jews in Psalm 100 are singing and praising and thanking and serving in the courtyard, we have much more reason to sing and praise and thank and serve him because we have been brought directly into his presence by Jesus Christ. Now, there's another way in which we see Psalm 100 fulfilled through the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in verse 1 and 2 again of Psalm 100. It says, A psalm for giving thanks, make a joyful noise to the Lord. And who's the audience? Who's being invited? All the earth. All the earth. This, in certain senses, is an evangelistic psalm. This is a call to all peoples over all the earth to come and worship the God of Israel. 
The psalmist here again envisions something even greater than the throngs of Jewish pilgrims streaming into Jerusalem to worship their God. He actually envisions people from all over the globe. Every race, every ethnicity, from every nation, streaming into Jerusalem to worship the God of heaven. That's, that's the picture, that's the vision. So, so come, uh, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. That did not happen during the Old Testament times. You would have the occasional proselyte here and there from other nations, sure. But nothing on the scale envisioned here by the psalmist. But you know that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they all saw, foresaw a time where this exact thing would happen. Men and women from every race, every ethnicity, every tongue, every nation would stream together into Jerusalem to worship the Creator God. You know that's exactly what is fulfilled through the Lord Jesus Christ? As He calls men and women to Himself from every corner of the globe? You say, oh, I don't believe it. Okay, well, look around. Like, seriously, look to your left and look to your right. Do, is this representative here of Calvary Baptist Church? Men and women from every background, every ethnicity, every language, every nation. Well, we're getting there, right? Uh, the diversity represented here this morning uh, really shows us that the Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled this very thing. Men and women from every nation, every ethnicity coming together to worship the Creator God all coming together in the person of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, gives us a glimpse of a heavenly scene. And it says, They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, obviously speaking of Christ as the Lamb, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. A far greater exodus, whereas God in the Old Testament rescued His people from one nation out of Egypt, redeeming them from that captivity and choosing for Himself to make them a covenant people. Through Jesus Christ, He's actually collecting men and women from every nation, all over the globe, from every tribe and every language, and from all those people, the globe over, He's making Himself a chosen people united to Him in covenant. And you and I this morning are part of that people. Through Jesus, men and women of every nation, every language, every ethnicity have come to worship and to praise Him. People from all over the earth have reason to give thanks and to make a joyful noise and to serve the Lord because Jesus has saved them and made them his people. And again, that's exactly what's represented here. And we thank the Lord that as Calvary grows, we don't just grow numerically, but we're also growing in diversity. What a wonderful picture of the gospel. What a wonderful picture of the gospel. Which, by the way, brings some benefits and brings some challenges, Right? I went to Stephen's house, and Stephen made us some Chinese food. And Stephen's a very good cook. A few days later, I went to Timothy and Pravalika's house, and we had some food from India. So are these the benefits or the challenges? It depends how adventurous you are with your, with your diet. But uh, uh, wonderful to learn about... Uh, Stephen and his background and some cultural differences in China. Wonderful to hear from Timothy and Pravalika with some cultural differences there in India. And really even to learn about the church, the church in China and the church in India. 
And about men, men and women in different areas of the globe worshiping the same God, having the same theology, but with some different cultural expressions. And we're seeing this more and more at Calvary. Men and women from various nations, different languages, brought together by Jesus Christ, who has delivered us from the captivity of sin, has brought us all to God the Father, and who has made us his people. So do we have reason? Do we have ability to look at Psalm 100 and to see that also as a vehicle to facilitate thanksgiving and praise? Absolutely. When we understand that the Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled uh, every element of the psalm. Well, that being said, we're going to pray, and then we're going to stand together And we're going to sing praises to God as his diverse people have been chosen by him, united together in covenant. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that through Jesus you have made us your own. We thank you that through Jesus you have delivered us from the captivity of sin. We thank you that through Jesus you have made us your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. We are your covenant people forged by your mercy and your grace. We pray that you'd help us now to return to you, thanksgiving and praise. Help us to be put in mind and to meditate upon all that you've done for us and all that you are. With a focus on all that you've done for us through Jesus Christ and how you have revealed who you are through him. So help us now as we sing uh, this final closing song to lift up our hearts with genuine worship, with gladness, with sincerity, And we pray that this too could be a vehicle of our thankfulness towards you. Lord, we thank you for all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.